Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Barney Sherman, it's a good Sunday morning. How are you? I'm doing good. Good Sunday morning to you. So flashback in time, July 2017, we had legendary coach Robin Selvig and Megan Harrington, a former Lady Grizz player. um, And at that point in time, the producer of a film about Rob uh, called The House That Rob Built. And now it just dropped in in uh, late February. So there's been a three and a half, almost four year period of time from when they were contemplating this thing, hitting the streets, so to speak, you know, and when it's finally been released and put into, uh, you know, um, syndication in a way, it's on multimedia platforms, it's on uh, – um, Amazon Prime Video, it's getting early, really great reviews. But it's interesting, and I know you know about this, and from your past documentary film experience, I would have thought at the time, and I remember thinking at the time, this is going to hit right away, right? They're making it, it's going to be out, and here we are, you know, in uh, you know March of uh, 2021, and it's just hit the streets. So I'm very interested in finding out the story about, you know, where it's been, what's been going on, you know, and then some things about Megan herself and, and how she's been uh, adapting and, adju- and adjusting to the world of Hollywood, particularly in the time of COVID. Absolutely. It's always good to revisit a guest and see the progress that they've made with their project and just thankful that she's uh, got it made and it's getting great reviews and has distribution. How wonderful is that? So what a great story. Yeah, At- terrific. Back after this with our guest, Megan Harrington, and the film, The House That Rob Built. Hi, this For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. We're back with our guests, Megan Harrington, senior producer of Family Theater Productions and the director, producer, and brainchild, the the originator of the film, The House That Rob Built. Hey, Megan. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Arnie Scott, it's so good to be with you this afternoon. So for our listeners that don't know you, let me just give a capsulized version of Megan Harrington. This isn't quite this is your life, but these are the things that I know best about you. Former Lady Grizz player, captain of the team, NCAA Woman of the Year in 2000, seven years at the Montana World Trade Center as managing director, the last 11 years in Hollywood doing all sorts of um, motivational and faith based films, the film biographer of Robin Selvig in the house that Rob built, you know, number 24 in our program, but number one in our art. That's the way I remember Megan. I do have to share one story, Scott, about uh, Megan. Um, She worked for me for seven years at the World Trade Center and uh, my tutelage of her didn't last very long. She, She quickly mastered the international business world and was one of my best hires. But we had a trade mission in Ireland. And um, as with many of our missions, if we go to a country, we put a press release out and invite anybody that has Montana ties. And sure enough, we're, uh, we're having a, uh, a reception with free food and, and drinks. And Megan shows up. And I didn't know her very well at that point. I knew of her just by reputation. But I saw how well she mingled with everybody 
and how she just fit in so well. And uh, I went up to her and said, if you ever come back to Montana, there's a place for you at the Montana World Trade Center. And Megan did come back to Montana, and there was a place for her at the World Trade Center. But the best part of that story is right after I hired her, I get a phone call at my office from her mother and father, you know, and Vince and Marie. And I've never gotten a phone call from parents of an employee before. So I wasn't sure what this was about. And I said, can we meet with you? And they uh, came to the office at the University of Montana and, and came and they brought me a box of chocolate, box of candy, and thanked me for bringing Megan back to America and back to Missoula, Montana. <laughs> so that was, that was one of the best, most endearing stories. Uh, Megan, did you know that, that they were doing career. that? Did you know they were doing that? <laughs> no, I would have stopped that, Scott. I would have stopped that in its tracks, and I would have taken the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Megan, in July of 2017, you and the, the legendary coach, Robin Selvig, were on our show, our radio show, talking about this film. So what the heck has happened in three and a half years? Oh, my goodness, a lot. A lot has happened in three and a half years. At that point when we spoke, uh, probably didn't know how much longer we had at that time <laughs> to get to this point. But we released uh, February 23rd, so last month. And so it's a little bit of a, a wild ride since then. But to think three, three and a half years later that here we are again now um, with an update. Is it good? Actually, you know what? That's how long sometimes it takes to, to get a film from conception to, to birth into a, a theater or online. And I do want to say that so far since it dropped, and it's only dropped a few weeks ago, it's it's scoring 100% uh, fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know if you know that, but it is. You're it's, good. It's on Amazon Prime Video. You can see it. So it's on a major streaming platform. Um, you're getting rave reviews from people as diverse as Chelsea Clinton and uh, John Stockton, the legendary Hall of Fame basketball player and coach. Uh, Trish Vanderveer, they're probably the greatest women's basketball coach of all time. And, and many, many others are just saying this is a film that anybody that cares about not only basketball and not only women, but, you know, this whole this whole migration from Title IX, you know, what, 40, 44 uh, years ago when it was first launched, you know, giving women equality in sports. And that's one of the, you know, one of the threads and one of the uh, great accomplishments and achievements of uh, of Coach Selvig that you captured very well, not by you know touting it, by by listening to the players. You did what seven sixty seventy interviews in this yes. in this film. Yes, about to close to seventy players. Though you're probably about right sixty ish. I mean, we wish we could have interviewed every single player, but um, you know, just with time and budget, that just was not possible. But it would have been wonderful to have all of those. Of, of all the players that have played for him. And, and you just saying that it's speaking to people is the most wonderful part about seeing it released is that's what our goal was, that this spoke to a, a general audience about the greatness of women's basketball set in our incredible state. That's It's an amazing story of what happened here. I mean, you you were a player for him about halfway through his the middle of his career, right? He retired in, in uh, 2016. You played for him from, what, uh, 98 to 2000, somewhere in this. So you were about halfway. So what was women's basketball like then? Well, as I remember it, even growing up, and I think I became more aware of it as we were filming, I didn't understand or appreciate it the way that I did as I started working on the film is, we had an incredible following for women's basketball in Missoula. I mean, every, I won't say every, most little girls were running around this city and this state dreaming of being a Lady Gris, of that as what, what they wanted most in life. And I don't know that you'd find that in very many places. Um, certainly not at that time. You know, it's grown a lot. A lot of great advances have been made. So I was just in this world that that was normal. That was totally normal. And was you normal. go to the game and there's more. Girls, I mean, more people at a women's game sometimes. It was, more, it was right. It was normal for you to see more people in the stands at the women's game than at the men's game, which is very unusual in college basketball. So you play in front of several thousand people, and then you go on the road and play in front of what two hundred people. 
Yeah, and that's when you could really hear them also. That's yeah. when, <laughs> loud and clear. So the radio would be an interesting place to be listening to him on those away games, I'm sure. Right. So for our listeners, some of them who may be new to you know the Missoula area, to our listening audience, Robin Selvig, Rob Selvig, had a 38-year head coaching career of the Lady Grizz. He retired in 2016. His stat line was it's phenomenal. I mean, 300, uh, excuse me, 865 wins, 24 conference championships, 21 NCAA appearances, 21 times coach of the year in the big sky. One of the top 10 winningest coaches of all time comes out of Missoula, Montana. You know, and, and so that that for our for our audience is just staggering, staggering numbers. And he became a uh, the coach of a women's team when it was unusual for a man to coach a women's team. Well, and also just for him to to take that job, he's coming out of. I mean, he had said, "I I wasn't sure of leaving my high school women's coaching job to go to college." If that frames it for anybody, that was risky because you didn't know where it was headed. His high school job was more secure. So he takes over. He played for the for the men's team and did not know at the time that there was a women's program. So yeah, this was a very right. much unknown program that he comes into and embraces it as his own. I mean, even in today's world, which fast forward to 2021, you go to a, a, a major college basketball operation and you look at the men's operation and you look at the women's operation and they're not the same. I mean, I don't care where you go, Mm-mm. you know, unless maybe it's a UConn or Baylor or someplace like that that's won national championships. I mean, I remember seeing the locker rooms back in those days, you know, one set of barbells for women, you know, and a small little operation. And the men's had the men's side of it had this huge operation. I mean, they, you had, you know, to compete and play at the highest level with a disadvantage compared to men, even with Title IX initially. Yeah, and those initial trailblazers who were a part of his first years, certainly his first team and beyond. I mean, what an example of playing for love of the game, of being given an opportunity when they didn't have one before and saying, I don't care what's in the weight room. I don't care what's in the locker room right now. I get a chance to play. Now, of course, need, things needed to be um, addressed and and progress had to be made, but they're coming in. You know, think of the mindset of coming in. I get this chance to play. And then Rob? In his position, went on to say, okay, you know, they deserve this and they deserve this. And he did it in a way that really only Rob can do of, of collaborating and saying, okay, we this has to be changed. We need to make these improvements because my girls deserve it. But these girls didn't even have a chance in college. They're getting this wonderful opportunity. So that, I just can't even imagine being in their shoes of that being overwhelming in and of itself, of this great opportunity. And then to have somebody who's fighting for you. And making sure you get what you need. I mean, it's and he a was one of the he was one of the early recruiters of Native American uh, players. I mean, as he Rob was. said many times, he didn't look at you as women or girls. Mm-hmm. Or looked at you as athletes and kind of treated you as athletes. That that was his way and approach. And and Scott, that was a very sane way to deal with it. You know, during a that right. long career, you couldn't be race conscious. You couldn't be. Gender conscious. You had to be focused on, you're an athlete. I'm trying to get the most out of you. Absolutely. You know, and that's and conveyed that in the also, film. Well, that's innovative too, right yes. there. And 78 to be, to be come in with that mindset, to bring that to practice. You know, imagine the girls, him showing up with that mindset. What I mean, like, whoa, no one's really ever expected that of us. No one has really called us to that level. And you see a woman in the film, um, Linda Deaton, who was in his first team saying that, that elevates you as a, as a young woman and a player that brought me to a new level because he believed in them. I mean, how many times has someone even unconsciously, they didn't know it said a word to us or gave us some sort of encouragement. They didn't know you needed to hear and what it did for your confidence and your ability to believe that what you thought wasn't possible was, and were he did that a- with his team. <laughs> were you able to, through, through making the film on, get to understand the psychology of Robin and as to why he approached it this way, because it really was very much ahead of its time. And what in his psychology, you know, put him in a place to kind of treat you and the sport and the team the way he did. 
See, Rob is, I mean, he's such a simple person. He grew up as... I'm going to tell him that. He's very common. He's very common. No. He, uh, <laughs> he, he grew up as one of eight children. So he had sisters. I mean, he his mother was incredible and, and an athlete, I think, in and of herself. So it wasn't a came in and he said this over and over. It's just, he didn't come in. I'm going to do all these things. It's just how he was. Well, I expect you to play and I know you're capable of, of being able to do that. So I'm going to expect it from you. It was probably something he learned from his family, from his own mom and dad about what it means to strive for excellence and be excellent and expect that of whatever situation you're put in. And he just brought that to the game. You know, you talk about him being, you know, Common. simple, modest, straightforward, but he was a funny guy. I remember in his in his own dry way, he was very funny. You mentioned he he had eight sisters. Megan is nine of eleven children. Mm. Her, her her father Vince was one of what he had ten brothers. Yeah, ten uh, one nine brothers, one sister. one sister. And I remember Robin uh, in one of the interviews said that uh, one of the reasons he signed you was to increase home attendance. <laughs> <laughs> Because your family would take up three rows of seats every time that Megan got out there and played. Well, I wondered what it was, and I couldn't figure it out. No, what, no. Does Rob, you, what does Rob think of the film? Like, I, I since he's not uh, here, what's his? Yeah, nice. No, so, what's since you know since the last time we spoke, it's now released. It's it's finding a great audience. What does he think? You know, he's so humble and. Um, I, I think he probably, I'm, I'm speculating, um, I did was there when he first screened it. We did have a private screening for him, so he would have an understanding of what it was, and, and everything was good, and he was very emotional. And I think when you put a story together and don't really know what it's going to be about, and I think to sit there in his shoes and witness what he had a hand in creating, the, the ways in which he impacted lives, you know, I think... Uh, I think his wife has said that usually you only hear those things at your funeral, sometimes never then, wow, <laughs> you know, yeah, what, sure. what, sort of, what sort of impact you've had. So I, I can't imagine, I, I think it's just been overwhelming because he also never thought about those things. You know, someone had said, Oh, what do you think of the films releasing? I'm like, probably won't be able to think about it for another, you know, six months a year because you're in it. He was in it. And now that he's outside of it and then seeing the film, I think it was an opportunity to really grasp. I didn't, he didn't even know the enormity of it all. No, I don't think any of us did. Right. What right. happened in Missoula to really go, whoa, I didn't know that happened here. That's pretty remarkable. One of the, one of the things the film captures is a, the um, sort of uh, going away party for, for Robin mm-hmm. and how many former players showed up. I mean, there were well over, what, 100 former players came from all over the country, as, you know, right. to, to celebrate his 38-year uh, reign at, uh, you know, Missoula. With the Lady Grizz, it's, it's incredible. And Let me ask you this. Know, go ahead, he, go didn't ahead. he didn't know that. So no, I know he, he didn't know. That's why he was so shocked to see them all. That, so it was so authentic, his reaction. He knew there was going to be some people there, obviously, but he had no idea that that many were showing up. And he remembered their names and everything. Name takes help. The name takes help. He still doesn't know my name. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2000, you go to Hollywood basically on a uh, – internship kind of program, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to get involved in faith-based films. And besides this one, you've done, you know, you have some other projects. The Dating Project is a film that you produced and co-wrote and and uh and directed, you know, Pray the Story of uh, Patrick Payton, you know, great a great film. So you've done other things. Where did where did the idea come from to do the movie about Robin? I think the, the the major moment was knowing that the reunion was happening and how many women were coming back. At, at the time, um, I was an independent producer. So you are always looking for a project. And I loved true stories and I loved documentaries. But I wasn't, you know, so you're looking and I was at a game and then he retires and you sometimes you just look for everything out somewhere else. And sometimes the most incredible stories, the most um, inspiring stories are right under your nose and living in right here. Right. So that was more luck than anything else. The reunion definitely was the reason that we started filming right. because that was no, you can't move it. Right. 
both you and Scott have done documentary films in, in the past. And, and I want to ask you this. How do you compress a 38-year career into an hour? I mean, the final product's an hour. How do you tell a story, you know, that you know so well because you were part of the story, but how do you compress it into 38? How do you, how do you compress 38 years into an hour? Painfully. Painfully you do. Uh, there's a lot of things, and Scott, you can speak to this too, that you – we knew that Montana PBS, thank goodness they came on early to say at some point, you know, we want to play this film. So we knew we had to stay within a time frame. I think that helped. Otherwise, it probably could have been longer. Um, but I'd rather people leave and say, oh, I wish that was short. You know, I wish that was longer than I wish it was shorter. Um, so they were invaluable, Montana PBS. But they're just tough choices, tough story choices, things that you really want in there, but you don't have time. So you have to make difficult decisions. And we also knew um, John Sippity, the co-director and John Lewis Kayla, the editor, which are wonderful guys that have no, no relation to the story at all. They're in Syracuse and they became very big lady Grizz fans of talking through, well, what's inside baseball and, and what won't a general audience get and what things like, what choices do you need to make and keeping each other honest about that and making sure that our rough cut was not five hours long. Cause we have done that before to go to five <laughs> is say, okay, this first one has to be um, under two hours and, and we have to get it there to begin with. So it's just difficult. And how is it financed? Well, initially it was financed through a um, fiscal sponsor, uh, two fiscal sponsors, and, and one was the Big Sky Film Institute Foundation was as well. So donations, tax-deductible donations. And then Family Theater, where I work now, they came on board to put the finishing funds in. So they were instrumental. And Scott, you probably know this too. I mean, when you, it's hard moving it along, you know, section mm. by section. When we were able to get that financing for the big chunk that said we can go back and film and we can finish editing, we all could focus. And that's why the film's finished. We could focus on it and get it done and have the resources to do that. It's a labor of love. I would agree with you. I think getting things, moving things along, it, there are times where it could be valleys. You're like, oh, well, we're not doing anything on it right now. But then it picks up and then you're like, I could see the finish line. So when did that happen? What year was that? Um, you described it so well with the valleys and valleys that you're looking up and going, how are we going to get over that hill? Like, how are we going to get there? Um, that was the December of 2018 is when... Uh, that valley looked like it was going to be something we could get out of and climb up to and get to the finish line. That's when Family Theater asked me to pitch the project, and they put in the resources. And 2019 is when we did the final filming and then fi finished editing. And 2020, it played at the Big Sky Film Festival. So tell us a little about Family Theater Productions. They have an interesting story. They do. So Family Theater is in the heart of Hollywood. It's been there since 1947. It was founded by Father Patrick Payton, who coined the phrase, the family that prays together stays together. And his big mission was family prayer. But within that, he wanted to positively impact media. So he worked with Jimmy Stewart. He worked with Lucille Ball, Cary Grant, all the big stars of the day. Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Oh, just literally anybody, almost anybody you could think of from that era would be part of his productions and they were very done very well. And they were really family oriented. And obviously in some cases they were faith oriented, but he really believed in positive messaging in media. And the goal with family theater is to inspire, educate and entertain and to allow families to come together to watch film and media, whether that's digital or whether it's documentary or feature. I watched part of the uh, prey, the story of Patrick Payton, oh. Scott, there's, he does a, um, a audience, I, I don't even know what you would call it, but he was speaking in San Francisco mm -hmm. and he had 500,000 people there. Oh my God. In San Francisco. Where did he have that many people? Where in the, uh, in, in, uh, Christie, at uh, Christie Field, uh, at Golden no, Gate Park? <laughs> Golden Gate Park. 500,000 people came to listen to him, him give his, that's amazing. Give his sermon. It was a sermon. Mm -hmm. You know, the rosary, he was known for, he was known for the rosary prayers. It was very charismatic and had that Irish accent that just, you know, <laughs> Megan loves. 
<laughs> I did. It's true. I lived there. You know it. I did. Uh, that, she's a sucker for that Irish accent. <laughs> so it's a, that's an interesting, that, that is certainly an interesting documentary, an interesting film. What are you going to work on next? Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to ask you, Is does this project lend itself to a scripted, um, at some point, a scripted original, you know, screenplay for a, a drama? Okay, that's a great question. And I have thought about that a lot and many times. I, I personally do. I mean, I don't think it could be his whole 38 years of him as a coach, but I think <laughs> right. there's a part, there's a, you know, title line to maybe Oregon State and 4,000 people that I do. And I think that's the beauty of documentaries in some capacity is based off audience engagement, awareness, reception to a topic. It validates, okay, there's an audience here. There's an interest. There may be something more. And so I do, I personally do think that there is more to this story that could be developed. Yeah, because it seems so inspirational just knowing it the way we've talked about it over the last couple of years. It's just, a, especially a time like now when you've got this whole kind of confluence, I guess, of like the Me Too movement, you know, gender, gender, you know, neutrality, I guess. I don't know what the word is, but the, we're living in a world where people identify by a variety of different ways and here comes this amazing guy at an amazing time with a group of people who clearly in and of themselves were great athletes and and believed and how does that all kind of manifest itself to tell this incredible story it doesn't there's a lot of ingredients to this thing being the way happening the way it happened and uh, it'd be interesting to hear more about that I would love to talk more about that. I'd love if that, you know, it is again, just to see where things go. And certainly that wasn't the thought initially, but as you develop and, and are looking at <clears throat> different opportunities from a particular product or this project, who knows? But yeah, I mean, there's so much in what happened in that time period. Even. I mean, if you just, if you break some of it down, it's, it's more than phenomenal for anybody that's interested in sports. I mean, for a 38 year career, he averaged 23 wins a year. Average. You know, that's okay. almost unheard of. If so, no one's, I don't even know if anybody's going to ever be able to do that again. Incredible. I, I mean, that's an I, incredible, uh, you know, lifetime achievement. I don't think, I mean, when we started, again, I played for him. Yeah. I grew up watching the Lady Grizz. I, it was just like, oh, that's just what it is. We live here. That's just what happens. But you start to look like you did and you're like, wait a minute, when 19, winning seasons before he had a loss and you know it, there was a lot of injuries next next year he wins the conference again it's truly unbelievable also to stay at one school for 38 years not only by your own choice but just being able to stay there for 38 years it's the it's a difficult profession coaching i think it's very stressful and a lot of pressure were there any relationships that robin had with certain players over the years that stand out to you as kind of just coming from two different worlds and kind of meeting in the middle and creating something greater or, you know, conflict, conflict, conflict. But that, like, cause those are the things that I think like scripted mm -hmm. drop, a scripted piece could really tease out in a way. And it's very interesting. Yeah. I think the first thing that comes to mind is the native American aspect. Mm. And, and, but but Scott, nobody, I mean, I didn't go, oh, this big thing's happening. It's, it's sometimes when you look back and you right. go, whoa, that was well, happening. Well, when, you're in the, when you're in the middle of it, you don't see how the significance right, is right. from a historical perspective. Exactly. And now you look back and even hearing Malia, when we interviewed her, it's not in the film. There's some wonderful footage not in the film, but she's talking about um, her elders coming down. I remember that. They came and they did this. They did an elders song, which is not done typically for females. Uh, hope I'm not, I did that. Yeah. They, they, they don't typically do it for females. She also got a feather, um, in her hair, which is a very high honor. So there were these moments that you start to look back and go, yeah, I wish I would have maybe understood that better when it was happening. But I don't know that a lot of people did in the way that we do now, when we see maybe a story like this unfold, you get a, gr a grander sense of all that was happening. Certainly when the elders came and when Malia was first recruited, that was a big deal. And that wasn't lost on anybody because that was the first recruit to the University of Montana for a Division One scholarship in basketball. That was that was historic. 
at the moment. Very historic. You made a conscious decision not to really highlight yourself in the film. It, it could have been easy to do that. There were there were there were highlights. There was a highlight reel of Megan Harrington. You chose not to include any of that. Why'd you do that? I don't think the, I don't think the medium could have withstood the greatness that was going to come out. <laughs> 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 ah, Great no, I I uh, I am that little girl that's in the film that dreams of being Lady Grizz. Uh, it's, you know, I am in it in the way that those little girls to what they dream of becoming, and I didn't I didn't well, want to be. Well, to be. Scott, just so you know that Megan was. A neighbor of the Selvig, she babysat for the family. Yeah, you know, she obviously. I remember was, this. She was an MVP for Hellgate High School. Took him to the state championship, right? Uh, in the, well, in, her, the team. in her junior year, she scored twenty-seven points against Gonzaga and beat Gonzaga, wow. which was a big deal for Lady Grizz. And then you had your your valley. You know, mm-hmm. Megan was captain of the team, slated to you know be. Uh, you know, a major contributor, and then tell them what happened. Well, I uh, ended up against the interstate Montana State game, the first game of the conference. I blew my ACL. So, Mm. unfortunately, that was the end of my junior year. Um, But I'm so grateful I had one more more year to to come back and be part of the team. And um, we ended up winning the conference championship that year with a lot of girls who had been hurt. But that teaches you a lot, too, you know, probably for filmmaking, too, Scott, if there's going to be those moments where um, all is lost or you feel pretty down and you have to get back up. And Megan is epitomizes the being a team captain because weren't you aren't you an all time assist leader? Pretty much. I don't know. I, um, I don't, I could not say that. I don't think I am. I, that, that I would imagine it'd be Skylar or Brooklyn or, well, maybe it's the time you became. Let's just say I am. Let's, let's just make believe you us. are. Who's going to fact check us? Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, we don't fact check. I, yeah, we don't but I was fact also check. an All-American. I was you, a certainly, you, you certainly epitomize a captain by, you know, dishing out, you know, plenty of assists. And I would assume that that role and the experience with <laughs> Robin not only helped guide your work in the future, you certainly helped, you know, when you – work with me. One of the things I can share, Scott, is I never had to in seven years say, I wonder if Megan's going to get that done or, you know, I wonder (laughs) if that's going to happen. She was always, you know, there. I mean, never. I didn't have to worry ever. I never once ever thought. I don't think I ever told you. Never once thought, I wonder if Megan's going to get that. I wonder if she's going to do it. I wonder if it's going to happen. I just knew it would. You know, and I think you took that same stick-to-itiveness, you know, to Hollywood. And you started at the bottom. I mean, you're already an adult woman. Mm-hmm. And you go to Hollywood. Uh, tell our listeners how, how you entered the film industry. Well, a typical story, I like to say, is jury duty. I yes. ended up in Hollywood because of jury duty. It was a child abuse case. It was terrible. And I went to spiritual direction, which I'd never done. And we talked through the case. And then I kept having this dream. And I I just was like, I want to be involved with film, media, inspirational Hoosiers, Rudy. I mean, Cinderella Man. I loved all those films. I loved the way they made me feel, and I wanted people to leave something that I was part of feeling the same way. <laughs> so, I applied to this program called Act One. It was a summer program, and I left the Trade Center. I left a great boss, a great job, and I burned the ships and, and went to LA and went through a summer program and was an intern. I was a very much a non-trad intern. And I was not buying beer for any of the kids that were, were there with me. Uh, they were all in college. But it was very humbling and a good reminder of, of, of remembering your place. Your place in the world is, is to, to hopefully serve others. And is, so it was a great way to start, actually. But it was really um, uh, difficult in some ways, too. You know, Scott, you know, you with your experience doing, you know, stuff for HBO, I mean, that's a very unusual way to get into the business. Completely. It was uh, you were be you were very vulnerable, but that's when so many good things happen. Is when you're open to so many oppor- new opportunities. Well, you had a call. Like I mean, really, you had a calling to do this. I mean, here I remember she told me she was going to you know leave the World Trade Center and go off to Hollywood, and I just I was completely flabbergasted by that. I, I you know I didn't think she couldn't do it. It just you know it's like me walking into your office, Scott, and say I'm leaving. I'm going to go join the Navy. You know, it's just something you would never, you you didn't expect, but I never thought you wouldn't 
succeed. And, and now, you know, having one of the uh, top, you know, documentary films in the country, you know, go, going around to not only audience acclaim, but so many people in the industry have come forward to say, this is a story that everybody should see. This is a story that I want my children to see. Mm. This is a man that, you know, we need to emulate and, you know, his values and way of doing things and, you know, his simple way of doing things was, you know, it's, it's something to not only admire, but to, uh, you know, to learn from. Well, that's only possible to, I mean, as you both know in your work, Ernie, and certainly in film, Scott, it's a team effort and it's a grind and it's own, you only get to the finish line because of each other. And, and because everybody believes in the same thing and no one person I'm talking with you, but anybody could that worked on this sit here and have a wonderful conversation with you because everybody was valuable in getting it to the finish line. But you get extra points for it being your inspiration, (laughs) right? I mean, it was, if you weren't here, it wouldn't have got done. It wouldn't have started. It wouldn't have come out of the gate. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do you, Megan, do you retain any ownership of the story or the rights, or is that all family theater productions? They are the owner of the rights of the film. Um, mm-hmm. the, there is a situation since we brought it and it was outside that I'm still part of it in some way of ownership. Um, a very small part, but I mean, nothing small, but they're major owners of it. So, you know, any film I work on for the company is theirs. Obviously, I work for them. Right, so this right. situation is, is a, it's different because it is a film I brought to them that was in the works. Um, and so, and I'm attached to, to any, into anything that maybe developed from it. Which is great. Are there, are, were there plans at all to maybe do some other, other media platforms like a book or, a, or a, some other a teaching kind of curriculum with the, I mean, there's so many offshoots of this that I could think of. Uh, are you guys contemplating that? Yes, actually, you clearly, yeah, you're very familiar with, with this, um, is we are talking with the Big Sky Film Institute about a, a, a curriculum for schools. I would probably be focusing Montana. They do, they do a lot of wonderful work, the Institute there. We will do with the community screening program, where if you want to bring the film to your theater or your school, just a general discussion guide that would oh, accompany. Good would accompany what you license for the film for questions that you could use, you know, in a group setting. I think the biggest problem you would have making a film, we talked earlier about making a, you know, a, uh, not a documentary, but a regular scripted Hollywood film is that Robin would probably want Harry Styles to play him as a young man. (laughs) And then Brad Pitt as an older coach. And I'm not sure you'd have the budget to, uh, you know, to meet Robin's aspirations. No, we're going to have to cut him out. We're just going to have to cut Rob out of the equation. Oh, one reviewer did. You have to read it. It's so funny. He he described him as a cross between Nick Nolte and Tom Brokaw. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, I yeah. can see that. You know, Tom nice. Brokaw later. Yeah, I can see a little bit of that. I could, too. I could, too. What, what, I mean, other, what other projects do you have going on now, Megan? That is, yeah, that is a great question. We are actually in the midst of, of working on the slate and what, what is next for development and, and some of the uh, different kinds of projects. We, we did a project called the dating project that Arnie uh, had mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. And again, looking at a scripted from that as well about dating and relationships, a, a film kind of focusing on that. Um, and different ones related to relationships. So there's kind of a whole different slate of ways we're going to go. And that's what we're working on. Actually, this week is is what's next and what do we want to work on and focus on. The the thing, you know, is this pandemic and filming. I'm so grateful and I feel bad for the filmmakers who were in production or, or had one more shoot before they were getting ready to edit. We were thankfully finished and we're in a place for marketing and distribution. So, uh, you know, now as things are starting to open up and, and looking like things might progress a little more. Um, to kind of jump on, jump on opportunities, but what a terrible situation. The world is opening up. How, was it, was it difficult to secure distribution through Amazon Prime? Well, we ended up airing. Okay. So we, we opened at the Big Sky Film Festival and it had sold out crowds and were, <laughs> that was also mind blowing, um, to, to see that unfold. 
But our distributor came about because someone from RTG Features, Slam Media, a big basketball um, marketing company and also film company, was looking at festivals. And Big Sky Film Festival is very well respected. Yeah. And so he thought, oh, sold out, sold out, so sports guy. So he contacted us. And so that happened in March, I think, about this time last year. And discussions started with them. And then they introduced us to their sister company, 1091 Pictures. So I just, they're formerly the Orchard. So our distributor really took care of the various platforms and we'll be looking at the opportunities in streaming. So we were fortunate to have landed a, a really great partner in 1091 Pictures hmm. and then our marketing arm with, with uh, our five-star basketball and RTG features. It's great. And you have, and you know, what a great space to to play! And you have the, the the Jordan film that just came out at the beginning of the pandemic, which you know places so much such a spotlight on on the sport, but also greatness from mm-hmm. a player standpoint. And there's just other things that are going on, uh, especially in the documentary space. That boy, what a great time to come out with your film to a larger audience. Something else to the Megan Harrington story here. Well, <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> It's very hard to do these documentaries. It's also hard to make small commercial films and make them successful. It's usually they're all, they all lose money. And Megan was the executive producer of a film called Unplanned that, mm-hmm. that, that was released theatrically in 2019 at a cost of $6 million and it grossed $21 million, Wow. Which is, in this day and age, is very hard for Great. a small film with a small budget to gross that kind of money. How did that happen, Megan? I I have to say, first of all, I was so limitedly involved. I introduced the book to the producers and the directors um, that started the ball rolling for the project. And then, you know, everybody's on different projects. And so they really deserve all the credit and all the, you know, all of the credit for what happened with the film. But it really was an issue of timing. I gave it, I didn't give them, I brought the book and suggested this as a film. They were, they were meant, you know, mentor figures to me as well. Nine years before it ended up getting to the theaters. So another example, but now again, like Scott said, it's not like every moment of the day you're working on that one project. They come and right. go because you have other things that come in and out. Um, so the, the long, how long it takes is, is, is not a joke in, in a lot of cases, but I think it was a situation of timing too. The, the world that, that movie is, is, is obviously about the Planned Parenthood director who left the organization. There was a lot of legislation that happened shortly before. So it was this firestorm of just the perfect moment for that film to release that I don't know if you could even plan something like that. You know, sometimes it's, uh, that's the grace I had that it lines up the way it does because and it, found, it, and it found an audience. It I mean, did it found a, a big audience. So, Huge. what has been the hardest part of the filmmaking process for you? Of all the things you have to be involved in as a writer, as a director, as a producer, what's the hardest thing for you to deal with? Um, you know, it's it's all difficult, and each stage is difficult. Um, it. Obviously, raising money is, but when you get into, I think, I'm just going to speak to the house that Rob, but when we got into those edits and the the first pass came and you started that process of getting to the finished film, and it was like 26 cuts back and forth, I think over two months, two and a half, grueling, because you want so much for it to be perfect. You want it to resonate. You want it to be the best it can be. So I think those moments for the house that Rob built, a lot along the way, but those final steps of like, this film is getting finished. And the back and forth of refining, refining to make it the best film it could be. And that is truly a team endeavor. Speaking of being in valleys. (laughs) Let's take a quick break. Our guest is Megan Harrington. She is the writer, director, producer of The House That Rob Built, streaming now on Amazon Prime and done in conjunction with her production company, um, Family Theater Productions. We will be right back after these words. Hunter Bay Coffee. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done. Back with Megan Harrington. So for those of you who are listening and are intrigued now and have not seen this, Megan, how do they, how do they uh, find the film? Where, where can they find it? If you go to the house that Rob built movie, the house that Rob built movie.com, you'll be directed to watch film page or buy now page. You can also learn more about the film if you'd like. So that's the best way to um, purchase rent or own the film is to go to the main website, the house that Rob built movie.com. And there's a trailer there also, so they can get the, uh, a little bit of a tease of what's uh, of what's in store. Yes, and if they like the first three minutes, they're going to love the remaining 50 <laughs> And what, what's your overall expectation for the film? What happens now with this film? It's on Amazon Prime. Do you keep pushing for it to be on other platforms? I mean, what exactly is the trajectory now for this film? Yes, so it's really important the first 90 days, I mean, first 90 days of the film, but the first 90 um, with our distributor, the reviews, the rankings, so the Rotten Tomatoes, it's huge. The reviews and the uh, stars, like where people, how, how people are responding to the film and national press, those things, ultimately what we would love is to be streaming. So Netflix or, or Amazon or, or any of the streaming platforms, subscription based. But this first phase is the transactional where you purchase or rent the film. But all of what we're doing now is trying to generate press, trying to generate awareness, try to get the stars, the reviews, people talking about the film. Because that speaks to the streamer to say, oh, okay, especially a right. national a national review, um, Wall Street Journal, any of those major outlets or whatever it might be, can be a huge game changer. Just one of them. Are you on the front line with that, Megan, and working with your <laughs> the press and the marketing group to do that? Yes, we have a wonderful campaign lead, TJ Burden, who's, who's, who's leading the effort and certainly working with him and, and, and trying to facilitate in whatever way we can. Because the relationships in Montana and the people in Montana, like this show, right. that have opened their airwaves or opened their their, their book of, of contacts and said, hey, you know what? I'll write to so-and-so. Like Gene McNulty King, we got endorsements from Tara Vandeveer, John Stockton, Muffet McGraw. Um, Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson is coming. Yes, that that is one that Chelsea Clinton you had mentioned. Those are all because of Montana connections. I don't know those people, but other people do. And they were willing to to go up to bat for the film and ask that they look at it and, and give it a give it a chance. And kind of reminds me of what Rob did with all of his girls from small towns, ranches and reservations. He gave them a chance. Um, you know, that, that's what we were asking. And boy, people really show, have been showing up. And that's made the difference. That's incredible. Do you see this like finding a home, like as you're, you want to be on the free streaming side, but then also could it have a, a home on like an ESPN that has a VOD platform or a, uh, and then they have their own app and their own streaming thing? I mean, is that possible to, or like a, what is, I forget, is it we or is there some women's oriented kind of, uh, you yeah, know, ESPN deputy too. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, is there, so you're actively pursuing all those different cha- those channels? Well, we actually had been in touch with ESPN from the very beginning. I had contacted them through um, the film festival five years ago, whatever, four and a half years ago. But we had already started, and they had said, we take films and own them. So, you know, so like, okay, right. but during the pandemic, TJ, the marketing distri- distribution lead, said, why don't we see, you know, at, at that time, remember, all sports had stopped. And the pandemic had caused live sports to shut down. Yeah. Well, ESPN did come back and make an offer to to screen the film. They were going to bundle it with another film and screen it last July. But we had used union players for the for the score, and they are non-union. So, so we could not. Now, who knows down the road if those different things can be sorted out depending on what the trajectory of the film and, and you revisit things. And that was a unique period in time because they do not do that either. It was a very unique time because of the situation with sports sure. that we, that the offer was made, but um, anything's possible down the road. I think depending on how the film continues to perform. Are you, are you the chief's print, the principal spokesperson doing like podcasts and interviews or are there others that are joining you or. You're like, I'd like to think that we should get somebody else to be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, um, there are. Rob has been 
incredible. So if you want to have him on, he, he's been so open and willing to participate. Um, John Sippity is available. There's subjects from the film um, that, that would, that, that I know would be uh, available and open to opportunities. So currently in this stage, which again, feels like it released five years ago, kind of how long it's really been three weeks in. So as more stories pop and more angles, uh, there'll be something that have Navajo times on Thursday, which is a native American focus. Hopefully that generates a lot of interest and, and, and interest in interviewing those, those amazing native American women who went through the program. So we're kind of just, launching into the world and looking for those different avenues of, of people who could speak and, and are in it or not in it. Cause you don't have to be in it, but generally that's how you would be recognized to, to be asked for an interview. I'm so, I'm so happy that we got to speak to you today. Thank you. Thank you for your time actually. And thank you for making this film. This is wonderful. Megan, you're the best and you played a significant role in building the house that Rob finally, uh, you know, completed. So Thank you for that. Thank you for your leadership and your inspiration on this. It's greatly appreciated, really. Well, thank you both. And thank you for taking my parents' call, Ernie. And, uh, <laughs> and I well, the did say there was a box of candy involved. I don't know if that was, if that was the... You're a sucker for chocolate. No, Candy's you guys, great. I have to, you know, again, I said this just a little bit ago, but... Thank you for asking me to come on and promoting the film. All this is so beneficial and, and, and I, it's not lost on us that, that, it, that how, of how helpful it is. So if there's a way we can help you guys, I don't know what that might be, but please let us know. More candy. No, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No more candy. No more candy. <laughs> Megan, thank you again. It's Thanks Megan. Arnie, I'll see you next week. Next week, Scott. Take care. Thank you for listening to what do you know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.